From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We are studying the book, this ancient letter of Ephesians, written by Paul the Apostle, written approximately 62 A.D. How many of you, by a show of hands, have been following in this series through the book of Ephesians? And my encouragement for you is, is to be reading the book throughout the week. And if I could challenge you in two different ways to read the book, is one, read it all in one sitting. Anytime you're going to pick up a, a book of the Bible, it's, it's valuable to read the whole thing as much as possible in one sitting, especially New Testament letters, because you kind of get the whole gist of what the author is saying. So that's one way. And the other way is to, to soak in section by section. You know, sometimes we can get caught up on reading plans that we kind of zip through the Bible without letting the Bible kind of really penetrate our hearts. And so it's not wrong to take a passage or a scripture and just read it each day, maybe even for a week, and just, just let it ruminate inside of you, inside your, whole, your soul and your, and your heart. So I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, I appreciate Pastor Bob Axe, who shared last week. I don't know if Pastor Bob's here. He's not here this morning, but he gave the word last week, and I appreciated that. He noted his condition, and I'm not far off. But we're blessed by Pastor Bob. Quick, uh, quick background on the book of Ephesians for those of you who haven't been tracking with us. Paul, the apostle, is writing this book from this letter from Rome where he is in prison. He's chained for preaching about Jesus. And he's writing to this young church at the time in Ephesus. Ephesus was an urban metropolis. Picture a city center that was full of pagan and imperial worship. For, for a person who converted to the Christian faith, it would have been difficult or it would have become difficult for you to live in a place like Ephesus. The whole culture worshipped Artemis, which was the Greek goddess of fertility. Life surrounded idol worship and the making of idols, and the city had a, was full of imperial worship. They worshipped Caesar, as the son of God. And now as a convert, you are in this city and you are calling and worshiping Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as son of God. This would have had great implications for life and for work. And so Paul, the apostle in chains, is writing this letter to the Ephesian believers and he's speaking about the cosmology of Jesus. He's pulling back the curtain. I've been using that kind of analogy, him pulling back the curtain so they can picture who's truly sitting on the throne, who rules over all powers and all authorities, and that those in Christ are seated with him as well, which, given their circumstances, as people now living in this culture who are calling Jesus Lord, would have brought comfort, that their position in heaven is with Christ, though their earthly position is different. Now, the first half of the book Paul writes and shares the good news. He gives a lot of good news. He unpacks the gospel repeatedly, and we're going to do that again today. And then the second half, he shares good advice on what it means to be the church. 
And when he shares that, it's not about the church gathering as we know it, but it's about what it means to be the people of God. And so he talks about how we talk and treat one another. He talks about truthfulness. He talks about husbands and wives and children and all sorts. So Ephesians chapter 2 is our text today, verses 8 and 10. I think it will be on the screen for us. There we Could you stand with me as we just read this scripture together? This is Paul the Apostle. He says this in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to repeat that one more time, and then I'm going to pray. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of salvation, for your grace, for your mercy, your unmerited favor. I pray that this would sink into our hearts today, not just today, but every day. We would recognize, Lord, that the gift of salvation comes not because of anything we do, but everything that you have done. So we open up our hearts, we open up our ears, Holy Spirit, to you to speak to us very clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Um, I'm a young parent. I'm a parent of young children. I have four children. It's a lot of children, apparently, these days. We are blessed some days more than other days. (laughs) But something I'm learning that many of you who are seasoned veterans, parents, would know, and those of you who don't have children think you know, but you don't know, because I think I know this, but I don't really know this because I'm living in it, is that it takes a while for things to sink in for kids. You got you to gotta repeat things over and over and over again, and I'm convinced this is not just kids. This is adults too, right? You got you to gotta, you gotta hear things and read things and reflect on things over and over and over again for it to really truly sink in. Some of the things in our home that I have to repeat often is that, for instance, at the dinner table, you're done your meal, your dish goes in the dishwasher. We are not your servants or slaves. You are ours. No. <laughs> But you take your dish, and if there's anything remaining on the plate, which there shouldn't be because you always say that you're hungry, so there's some food, is you scrape that off, and then you put it in the dishwasher. The sink is not the dishwasher. It does not wash dishes. The dishwasher washes dishes. So you put... Now, the four-year-old, I can understand, because you're kind of new and you're young, right? So you can just put your dish near the dishwasher. That's sufficient. But the other ones... Like, we've been doing this for years. Years. Another one, and there's one child in particular that I feel like I need to remind them of this often, is that your dirty clothes go in the hamper, not the spot right next to the hamper. There's the hamper. Those are dirty clothes. Two feet. Sometimes they even hide it on the other side of the dresser, right? Like, the difference between this spot 
is nothing. Actually, it's, it's easier and quicker to go in this spot because it's right by the door. Another thing is toys. When you're done playing with your toys, you put your toys away. You know it. You learned it. It takes a while for things to sink in for kids. It takes a while for things to sink in for adults. And one of the things I think that takes a while for us to really let it sink in is the gospel. We struggle with understanding that the good news of God's salvation and letting that penetrate our inner person is by grace. Scriptures say, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul shares it very clearly in this text. This is probably the clearest articulation of the gospel in the Bible. It's just a short sentence. Let it sink in. And we struggle with this because we battle a lie that I need to do something to earn my salvation. I need to do something to make God pleased and happy with me. And I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how mature you are in faith. I don't care if you're a minister of the gospel. It's easy to fall back into that lie that God is pleased and God grants salvation based off of my behavior. One of the most important things I think about immersing yourself in reading the scriptures, and when I say immersing, I mean like, like picture yourself getting into a bathtub. Like you're immersed in the water. But reading the scriptures over and over again, especially these New Testament scriptures that speak of the gospel, is because we don't get it the first or second or third time. So like a sponge, we need to soak and immerse ourselves in the Word, meditate on it. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. And that's not always the most fun thing to do when you have so many temptations vying for your attention. It is easier to scroll Facebook, Instagram, whatever the new thing is. It's easier to turn on the television and just veg because we all just need to veg, right? After a good day, you know, hard day at work. It's easy to do those things, and those things have the lure of satisfaction. It's difficult to open the scriptures. Why is it so difficult? Maybe because we're fighting a lie. Maybe because there's an enemy at work against us. But it's important for us to get into the scriptures. And the good news is that even a little bit of God's work does a wonders in our soul. Because the word of God is not there to inform, but to transform. A working happenings happens in our soul, our inner self, as we chew on, as we meditate on, and soak in God's word, and most importantly, the gospel message. It's so important because the lie is so deceptive. The lie that you need to earn God's favor. So let me repeat it, and I will repeat it again. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is by grace. Pastor Bob last week shared on grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's getting what you did not earn or deserve. 
Biblical grace is God's favor towards the unworthy. Biblical grace is God's benevolence on the undeserving. Biblical grace is God's willingness to forgive you for your wrongdoing, the evil in you, the darkness of your thoughts and desires, and bless you by making you alive in him when you were dead in sin. Grace is the essence of the good news. If you get nothing from what it means to follow, if you have a hard time understanding anything, get this one thing. The grace saved you, not works. And it's so good, the good news, because we didn't do anything to earn it. God saved you. God rescued you. Christ died on the cross for the justification of your sin before a holy and righteous God, not because you are a good person who deserves to go to heaven because of your goodness and good deeds, but because of his undeserved kindness towards you and unreserved blessing. Someone came to me this morning and said, this is the bridge of deliverance. When there was no path to reconciliation with the God of the universe, God, out of his grace, built a bridge for you to be delivered from your sin. Nothing on you. Now, this is both good news and it's offensive news. It's good news because we did nothing to deserve it. It's a gift of God, Paul says. It's offensive because there's a part of us that wrestles with this idea that our own goodness deserves heaven. There's a part of us that wrestles with this idea that our goodness earns heaven. But Paul says this is not from yourself. So grace is both humbling before it's lifting. There's nothing about salvation you can earn. Zero zilch nada. No amount of good things you can do. I don't care how nice you are. No amount of giving. No amount of generosity. No amount of serving. No amount of good deeds. God may say to you one day, well done, good and faithful servant, because of your faithful deeds and actions. But he will not say, because of your faithful deeds and actions, welcome home. If I see a person drowning, I don't first require them to learn how to swim before I help them. I'm here to help, but first, let's learn the front crawl. When I, when I see a person caught in a fire in a house, I don't first sit down and go through some fire safety training with them so that they can learn not to do this again next time. Grace is running into the fire and saving the per person before anything happens. It's rescuing the person from drowning before anything happens. Then we can do some training afterwards. There's nothing we did or can do. It is by grace, Paul says, and he says it's through faith. So what is our role in salvation? If anything, it is just to trust. It's just to trust. Our role is to believe and bank it all on God's good grace. There's this story made movie of a boy's soccer team, and I believe we have a picture of it, in Thailand, this is the boys' soccer team in Thailand, who entered a massive cave system one day after practice. Uh, 
to explore, but soon after they did, mega heavy monsoon rains came and trapped them inside the cave system deep within. Waters continued to rise and the rains continued to come and the boys were in there for over a week as efforts to rescue them were underway. Now this became such a massive operation that over 10,000 people got involved. Divers, police officers, soldiers, various agencies, Navy SEALs. They were so deep in the cave system, four kilometers deep in this cave system, that even the Navy SEALs struggled with the distance. One of them died in the process to rescue them. The question was, though, once they found these boys, how do they get them out? They don't know how to scuba dive, and this level of diving was elite level. Even if they could breathe through the scuba apparatus, panic would take over as you traveled that distance. The route to them had many flooded sections with currents, strong currents and zero visibility, and the journey against the current to get to them took six hours. The journey out was three with the current. So after weighing all the options, the only way to get them out was to put them under an anesthetic that would last 45 minutes to an hour and had to be topped up along the journey. I took this little blurb out of some things I read. It says, the boys were maneuvered, once under the anesthetic, the boys were maneuvered out by swimming divers who held onto their back and chest. You gotta imagine someone under an anesthetic with a breathing apparatus around. Like you're scuba diving, but you don't realize you're scuba diving. They were maneuvered out by the swimming divers who held onto their back or chest with each boy on either the right or the left side of the diver, depending on the guideline. In the very narrow spots, divers pushed the boys from behind. Divers navigated them through tight passages carefully to avoid dislodging their face masks against the rocks. The divers kept their heads higher than the boys so that in poor visibility, the divers would hit their head against the rocks first. Now, thankfully, all the boys were rescued. And there's a great movie on this called 13 Lives. Really good movie, but here's the metaphor. They did nothing to earn that. They had no hand in the rescue, but they had to trust the diver. That that diver, when they put the needle in their arm and gave them the anesthetic, would get them to the other side. And that's what we do. We put our faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That it accomplished everything for salvation. That nothing I did or do makes me right before God, but everything Jesus did and everything that Jesus did for us so that we can exist in relationship with the triune God. I can know God because of what Jesus did. I can have eternal life because of what Jesus did. I'm trusting, I'm putting faith through faith that he's getting me to the other side. And this church, this Paul says, is the gift of God. From start to finish, it is God. From beginning to end, it is his effort, not my effort, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is by grace, through faith. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. It is a lie from hell 
that you need to work or do or act in a certain way or have certain behavior to be saved. Say, why do you keep repeating this? Because it's so hard for us to understand this. It is a great deception from pure evil that has caused our society to believe that our goodness is enough. How many times have you heard someone say, well, they're a good person, right? Sometimes I'll be doing funeral services and I'll hear people say that. And I'm not the judge, I don't know. God does. God knows a person's heart. God knows the standing of a person. But it's not the goodness. It's not how many good deeds, it's not how much they gave, how much they served, how many doors they held open. That is a lie from the pit of hell that your goodness saves. Jesus said, the benevolent Jesus, the compassionate kindness of Jesus said, there is no one good but God. In fact, one, once upon a time, someone came and said, good teacher. He's like, whoa, I'm going to stop you right there. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Because goodness doesn't save. How many times have you thought or felt deep somewhere in you that God is more pleased with me because I'm behaving better? And that maybe when you do wrong, that he's not pleased with you and he's angry and he wants to punish you. How many times have you thought deep within you, if I was just a better dream team member, fill in the blank, if I was just better at reading my Bible, if I was just better at praying, if I was just more like Pastor Call, if I was just more like the prayer team, if it's just more like God might give me grace. That's not grace. That's not grace. But if, you know, God's, God feels good with me when I, when I give 10% and when I serve and when I don't do those things, ah, I don't know if he's going to let me. What if he doesn't let me in? What if, he, what if when I, what, what, what if, like there's two angels on you tallying the score, your good deeds and your bad deeds, and you're hoping that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. P.S., that's, that's Islam. That's not Christianity. What, 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 if, what if I stand before the gate of heaven? He says, no, sorry, you weren't good enough. That's not, that's not the Bible, church. Yes, we are accountable, and yes, we will have to make account. And as people in Christ, we are rewarded or not rewarded based on our actions. But salvation is by grace alone, through faith. This is not of yourselves. This is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, can we put up that text again? I know I didn't throw it on there, but just a second verse, verse 10. Go to verse 10 for us. For we are God's handiwork, he says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here is the result of the grace. Forgiven, yes. Cleansed of sin, yes. Justified, yes. Reconciled back to a holy God, yes. Adopted into the family of God, definitely. Redeemed, yes. And the Bible sums it up in this beautiful term that you've probably heard called new creation. Paul to the church in Corinth, he said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. If you were here last week, Pastor Bob sang a old hymn, which I don't know, because I'm not, I'll just leave it there, and it said something, I'm a new creation, 
There you go. Some of you know it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, we're going to look at this next week. The NIV renders it this way. His purpose, God's purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity. And look at our text. He says, it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Now, depending on what translations you read, that word handiwork might say workmanship or masterpiece. And that is what it means to be saved. And that is where grace is taking us. God is forming a new kind of people in Christ. And this new kind of people are the workmanship, are the masterpiece, are the handiwork of God. Now, I need to note this. When you read that verse, Paul is not talking about creation. He's not saying people are God's masterpiece. Now, no doubt, we are created in the image of God. We are God's handiwork. In fact, he uses that word elsewhere to speak of creation. But in Ephesians here, what he's talking about is the new creation. He's talking about being made new in Christ. He's talking about a new humanity. He's talking about this thing called the church. It's a new thing, and it's God's handiwork. And look carefully at what he says. He says, God, through his grace has made this masterpiece called the church, this one humanity saved from sin, saved from death, saved from um, darkness, saved from evil, saved from the wrath of God, newly created in Christ, what we call born again for good works. For good works. Now let that sink in. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So are you, if you're tracking, Paul is attaching grace to works. Not grace from works. God doesn't give us grace because of works, but works from grace. And there lies the line. We are not saved by the works that we do, by the good deeds, but we are saved for good works. James chapter 2, the half-brother of Jesus, he put it this way. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no good deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, can I put in my own translation? I'll be praying for you. But does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. The outflow of the gospel transforming a person is that the person now lives a life of works to God. Saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. God's handiwork 
for good works. You are saved for something. I heard it said this week, salvation is not a vacation to heaven, although I really hope that there's a really nice beach for me. Salvation is not a vacation to heaven. Salvation is a vocation on earth. Now, I think that's why Paul, when he writes this letter, writes the first half and shares all about the good news before he gets into the good advice. Because he wants the people, he wants us to understand that why we act a certain way is not for salvation, but we do this because we are new creations saved by grace. So before he tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 to put off our old self that's being corrupted by deceitful desires, before he tells us to put off falsehood and speak truthfully, before he tells us to not let any unwholesome talk come out our mouths, but only what is helpful for building each other up, before he tells us to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and malice and to be kind and forgiving, before he tells us to walk in the way of sacrificial love in Ephesians chapter 5, before he tells us to submit to one another, for wives to submit to their husbands, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church, before he tells children to obey their parents and fathers not to exasperate their children, before he calls us to serve wholeheartedly, all people as if we were serving the Lord before he calls us to stand firm in Ephesians chapter 6 and pray on all occasions before all the works. He tells us we are saved not by works. Before he commands us how to live for works, he tells us we are saved by grace. And that grace, through that grace that is not of ourselves, that is not by works so that no one could boast, we are saved for good work for the stuff that he talks about the latter half of the book. So when he gets to that section and he says, put off the old self, it's because you are part of a new humanity. When he says, speak truthfully, it's because you're part of a new creation. It's not so that doing those things, God will be pleased and grant you grace and salvation. When he tells us to speak only what builds each other up, it's because we're part of a new humanity. When he tells us to be kind and forgiving, it's because we're part of a new order of people. When he calls us to submit to one another, it's because we are new creations. We don't do things like the world. When he calls us to live a life of service to others, it's because we are a part of this new thing called the church. And it's supposed to look different because we are saved not by works, we're saved by grace for good works. So let that sink in. Let that sink in. We are saved by grace, created as God's new creation in Christ to do good, not because the goodness changes our standing before God, but because God did a good thing for us, and so it's good to do good. Why do I serve? Because it's a blessing. God, by his grace, saved me, picked me up out of the clay, dusted me off, and made me new. And now I get to do this. Praise God. I don't do this so that one day he's like, yep. Ooh. Nope. You just got in. 
No, because when I stand before God, he doesn't see me. He sees his son. He sees Jesus. He sees the sacrifice. He sees that, actually does see you, but he sees that the blood of Christ has cleansed you and made you white as snow. Not any of your good stuff. Because listen, you all know, if it was based on your works, you ain't getting in. Because there is some nice things we all do, but there's some dark things we all think. Right? I like what Pastor Bob said last week. He says, we are saints who struggle with sin. But thank you, Jesus, for the gift of grace that gives me what I do not deserve. Praise God. So in chapter 4, there's a turning point. Paul calls us to live a life worthy of the calling of grace. And as a Jew, Paul likely had in mind the Ten Commandments. Not that we're saved by keeping them, but we're saved to live by them. As a lover of Jesus, maybe he had in mind the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies, do good to others as you would have done unto you. Not because we're saved by them, but we're saved to live by them. As an apprentice of Jesus, maybe he had in mind, probably had in mind the works of Jesus, healing, deliverance. Not that we're saved by doing them, but we're saved to do them. And not just those things, but as God's handiwork, God has made us each uniquely and shaped and gifted this thing called the church in such a way that all these different people come together with different personalities and abilities and talents and gifts to be this thing called the body of Christ. And so we're not all called to do the same work, but we're all called to work. Not for salvation, for it is by grace we've been saved, through faith. This is what grace is moving us towards. Amy, I'm going to invite you. Come on up. Church, if grace isn't moving you here, if grace isn't moving you to do good, then I wonder if you've been touched by grace. Or maybe you're buying into a false gospel. I wonder if you've been immersed in the truth of the gospel, that nothing you do earns God's favor. Or have you bought into a lie that says something less? That when you're good, God is pleased and shows you grace. So listen, often we'll say throughout the ministry here at Parkway that we're looking for volunteers to do this and that, and we're always looking for volunteers. But if you do that because you think God has given you a check mark on the box of salvation, oh, finally, they're serving. It's the wrong attitude and the wrong heart. It's like giving. The New Testament calls us to be generous, abundantly generous. Like Jesus always brought things deeper. But, but it teaches us that we give out of the, the goodness and cheerfulness in our heart, and God loves that, not out of duty. So don't. Yes, we want you to serve because the body of Christ needs you to serve. And when you don't serve, we are handicapped. 
there's a statistic that has been going around church ministry for since I've been involved in it. It says 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Unfortunately, like we are crippled as a church, not just Parkway. Parkway, yes, but the church. But don't do it because you think you're going to earn your salvation. Because the gift of God is grace. Not because of you. He loved you even when you were in your stinking thinking. Even when you're doing your stinking deeds. Even when you're doing all the stuff that nobody knows about but you and him. He loved you and he died for you. And it's all on him. It's the gift of God. You do nothing to earn God's grace. But because of grace, we're new creations created for more. So how do we do that more? How do we do the more? How do we do the good works? How do we let this sink in and so be transformed by it so that what flows out of me naturally, the natural response is good works? I soak in the truth. I soak in the truth. Like, I don't know if you've ever put a sponge under a tap before. The water just kind of runs out. Do you know what you got to do? Well, that's what I do. I got to squeeze the sponge, right? It's almost like I got to push all the air and everything out of it so that there's room for, for that. And so this tells me, church, that sometimes we just need to press pause on the things that, that draw our attention and just get into the Word of God. And if all you do is read this chapter from Ephesians, just read the first three chapters for a year every day. Let it soak in you. Let it soak in you. Like even when you open, you're like, here we go again. I'm going to read about the gospel. Read it again. Because there's a part of this life and this world and the spiritual enemy that you will battle daily that says you got to do something. You got to do something to earn it. God's not pleased with you now because you did this, that, and the other. No. It's by grace I've been saved. It's by grace I've been saved. So I soak in the truth. Jesus said it this way. He said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. The first step in apprenticeship with Jesus is to be with Jesus. So you're not going to do the good works which he prepared in advance for you to do without being with him. You're not going to do the more that he has called and destined you to do without being with him. Don't think you're going to become more like Christ by not spending time with Christ. That's just basic math, right? I'm not going to be more like Jesus if I'm spending time with others and not Jesus. I'm going to become more like Jesus when I spend time with Jesus. And it's really simple. Like, how do I do this? My kids are like, he's not here. I can't see him. I just read the word. And I trust and have faith in it. And I believe in it. And sometimes I'll just sit there at church in the mornings. They'll just open up and say, okay, God, speak to me. Sometimes I hear him. Guess what? Sometimes I don't. But I know when I make a practice of opening up my word, his word, this Bible, every day in the morning, like the rest of my days are different. I approach life differently. I approach people differently. And I've shared statistics on that in the past. Get in the Word. 
So let me close with this, and I'm going to pray. To the person attempting to make right with God by doing better, you've believed a lie. It's by grace. To the person attempting to do more good because then you feel like you're a better Christian, it's by grace. To you, I say, put faith in the finished work of the cross for your salvation. Put your hope and trust in Jesus who justified you before God because everything he did for you and soak in Jesus every day. And if you're here and you're like, oh, another grace message. Here we go again. I know this. No, you need to know this because we battle that deceptive lie every day. To all of us that are in Christ, those who are here and you call on Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, his workmanship created in him to do good, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So do good. You're in Christ, do good. Why? Because you're part of this new thing called the new creation. We're a new humanity. And unfortunately, the church has got a bad rap over the years because the new creation ain't acting like the new creation. Do good. Live by the new, not the old, because we've been saved by grace. Amen? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth it holds. And I pray that this would sink into our heart and our mind this morning. Lord, I know there's people here that we wrestle with that maybe because of our earthly father, maybe because of our experiences, our upbringing, we think that we need to do and accomplish in order to be right before you, but that's not how grace works. It is by grace we've been saved because of what you did, Jesus, on the cross. And so we worship you. We turn our attention to you, what you've done. We put our trust, our faith, in the complete work of Christ. This is not of ourselves. This is a gift from you. Let that sink into us that we may, from the outflow of grace, do the good things you've called us to do because we know the gospel truth is grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.